You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Free kick for Atleti. Good opportunity to give a shout to a blog, a, a US fan club of Atletico Madrid called Into the Calderon. Do some really good content for all followers of the Colchoneros. A decent base in the United States as well, following the action on ESPN+. Give them a follow. At into the corridor. Buenos dias y feliz año nuevo. Welcome to a new edition of Colch Nero Chat, our 250th episode, if you can believe that, and our first of 2023. Hope you all have had an exciting start to the new year. I'm Jeremy Barron of Into the Calderon, three-man show for you today. First up, a frequent guest coming back on the pod, Robbie Dunn of Opta and also of Into the Calderon. Hello, Robbie. Hey, doing, Jeremy? We also have with us on the program today a first-time guest, Sid Lowe from The Guardian and the Spanish Football Podcast. You can also read him in the pages of ESPN and also watch him on occasion on ESPN FC. Hello, Sid. How are you doing? Fantastic. Uh, we are going to be talking today about the upcoming Copa del Rey round of 32 clash between Real Oviedo and Atlético de Madrid. That takes place tomorrow night, Wednesday night, in Oviedo, in Asturias, at the Nuevo uh, Carlos Tartier. This will be the first competitive meeting, you guys, between Oviedo and Atletico in over 20 years, since May 5th, 2002, when both sides were in Segunda. Atletico were on their way back up to La Liga, having been relegated two years prior, and that game ended 3-2 
to the Colchoneros. Uh, Sid, do you have any memories at all of that game? Were you in attendance? Anything at all? No, I can't claim to remember that specific match. I, I'm, I'm just hurting inside now because you made the point there, very pointedly, um, that Atletico Madrid were on their way back. Mm. Of course, Oviedo were not, and, and still are not. <laughs> it's been a very, very, very long time. And I, I must admit, I can't remember that game clearly. And I, I was talking to an Oviedo fan earlier on today, and he was saying you know, it's his first time that Oviedo have played one of Spain's big three. Um, as you say, since since that season, which was in the second division. Not entirely true, as it turns out, because Oviedo actually played Real Madrid in the Copa del Rey that year. And I remember saying to Steve McManaman, who was, who was Real Madrid's captain mm. when, when Real Madrid played Oviedo in the Cup that season, I said, you mean you're going to be walking out as captain at the Carlos Tartierri? I mean, that is every boy's dream, surely. <laughs> I don't think Steve... I don't think Steve was quite as keen on it as I was, but but I, I thought it was a dream anyway. <laughs> now, uh, Sid, you, you just... Uh didn't just hint at it, you actually said it outright. You have a uh, a massive love for Real Oviedo. You are a massive Oviedo fan for our listeners who may not know or may not be aware. Uh, and I'm sure you have been asked to tell this story numerous times over the years. But if I could trouble you for it one more time, uh, talk to me about, about your love for Oviedo. What the city, what the club, what just Oviedo in a general sense, what it means to you. Well, I mean, in, in terms of being an Oviedo fan, in a way, it's it's really just kind of uh, geographical chance. Mm. So so I did my year abroad as a student um, because I was doing Spanish and history at, at Sheffield University in the UK. I did my year abroad in Oviedo, uh, 96, 97, which I can't believe I've just admitted because it tells you just how old I am. But anyway, my year abroad at university was 96, 97 in, in Oviedo. At the time, Oviedo were a first division team. To try and put you put this into context for you, Oviedo's manager was Juan Malillo, of course, has recently just left Manchester City, where he was assistant manager to Pep Guardiola. And that is actually in Oviedo at the old Carlos Tartiere, not the ground that Atletico and Oviedo will be playing in, um, was the day that Juan Malillo met Pep Guardiola. Um, Barcelona were... were ran out winners, I think 4-2 against Real Oviedo that day. But Oviedo played really, really nice football. And at the end of the game, there was literally a knock on the door of the dressing room, the Oviedo dressing room. Um, uh, someone calls over Juan Melillo and says, Pep Guardiola, who was playing for Barcelona back then, not the manager, of course, in the middle of midfield, would like to talk to you. And Guardiola basically says, your team plays great football. Okay, you know, can we just have a chat? Because that was kind of the nature of Guardiola and very much the nature of Juan Melillo who I last saw very recently, actually, because he's coaching in Qatar as the World Cup. I went to see him see him there, him and Santi Cartola in the same team. So for me, it was like this kind of Oviedo overload. Um, and so that was the year I spent in, in Oviedo. That was the year when Brazilian Ronaldo was Barcelona. Just the most amazing thing I think I've ever seen in football. Uh, and I went to, to Oviedo, and, and, and me and a mate of mine, a guy called Chris from, from, from Sheffield University, watching Oviedo play and we, we kind of turned up and I remember we turned up on the day that Oviedo were playing Real Madrid and we are on the bus from Bilbao Airport to, to Oviedo listening on the radio as Oviedo were playing Real Madrid and this was I don't know when it was start of the university term so it would have been probably early October and we were thinking oh, that's pretty shitty luck isn't it you know we turn up in a in, in frankly a pretty small town in Spain that we don't know very much about and we've already missed the visit of Real Madrid anyway that Monday we got out of copy of Marco and had a look at the league table and the fixtures so far we go wait a minute we've already missed Madrid we've already missed Barcelona we've all, already missed Athletic right in, in terms of it was as if someone was deliberately taking the piss out of us you know you turn up at frankly again a small town a not particularly great club and you've missed the three most historic clubs certainly in terms of always being in the first division in Spanish football history although of course at that point Atletico had already be, always been in the first division as well and we think this is really terribly bad luck 
we won't, you know, we won't get season tickets. We won't go to every Oviedo game, but but you know, we'll go a little bit. That weekend, Oviedo played, if I remember rightly, Deportivo La Coruña. We went to see the B teams play each other on the Saturday. The first teams play play each other on the Sunday, and then didn't miss a game for the rest of the season, except for one that I missed in in hospital because I broke my ankle playing football in in, in Oviedo in, in in Regional, which is. I don't know even what, what tier to call that. It's a long way down anyway. Um, and, uh, and and so missed it, missed a couple of games, um, but didn't miss the derby that year, which I went to in a, in a wheelchair. Went to, went to the Oviedo Sporting King on derby in a wheelchair. But that year, and, and apologies for saying this, but I'm going to, the best performance of the season by a very, very long way was a Saturday night at the old Carlos Tartiere when Oviedo beat Atletico Madrid 4-1. And of course, that was the Atletico double winning team. Yeah. Sid, Sid you, you just you just mentioned there about Juan Malillo and I wanted to ask you about that because on Twitter I've, I mentioned it all the time that article the, the brain in Spain and I hope actually that meeting in Qatar was uh, was uh, you're, or maybe planning the, the brain in Spain part two but I want to I wish I was about... I'm not unfortunately I wish I was I actually said to Juan you know if you want to do an interview and he, he's a bit bored of, of the media now and that includes me by the way <laughs> despite, being a mate, despite being a mate of mine but he, but but I just wanted to ask you about that interview because when I read it, I get the and I get the um, impression it was you knew that he would just keep keep going and and it was kind of like that infinite regress and you were like but why but but why and 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 I could I could read the kind of cheat your kind of the, the, the impishness and your kind of. Were you going for that approach when you were asking him? And he kept saying, "But Sid, this is why." And, and you have to. And you were like, "Yeah, but but why would that be the case?" And well, were you going for that effect? Uh, not deliberately. I, I mean, obviously, I, I knew Juanma because I'd, I'd worked with him. I'd done TV work with him during the 2006 World Cup in Spain, and um, and we got on very well. And we partly partly got on very well because I had said to him the first day I met him. So, Bloody hell, you're my manager. You know, you're the guy that managed my team the first time I ever saw them, the first year I ever lived in Spain. And, and, and he's incredibly intellectually challenging, Juan Malillo, and he doesn't, he, he doesn't accept the cliches. And everything you say, you say, he's challenging you on it. And so when I went to do that interview, it wasn't kind of a deliberate attempt to, to say, you know, let, let's kind of have a battle, if you like, a, di- a dialectical battle. It was more just like, let's have a conversation. But that's in Juanma's nature. So, so every time you say, well, what about this? He said, that's just total rubbish. And he, he's really good at saying that's rubbish. And your, your assumptions are wrong. And what are you basing that on? And, and the, the good thing, I suppose, in terms of that, particularly that interview, and it, you know, it wasn't really my intention to kind of go and do an interview in which we showcased anything in particular. I just knew that he was an interesting guy and wanted to talk to him about football. Uh, and that, that's how I proposed it to him. So let's just have a chat about football. And I had him. You know, a series of ideas of what I wanted to talk about, but I knew that the conversation would go where it went, just because it does with Juanma, and you don't know where that's going to be, but you know it will be somewhere, right? And and but what made it good, I suppose, from my point of view at least, was because I knew him well enough, uh, and we got on well enough. I felt that I could go back at him, whereas I think quite often when you do an interview with someone, particularly someone who's you know, been successful in the game, who's got a name for themselves and so on, when they challenge you, there is a temptation. Uh, maybe temptation is not even the right word there's an inclination I suppose to kind of back off a little bit and say alright this is a guy who's been in football for years right I don't know shit compared to this guy and I would still admit that I don't know shit compared to this guy but there is a bit of you that sort of backs away a little bit but because it was Juanma I could say yeah but what about and what about and what about to which of course he would say no because of this this and this and it just I mean just basically talking to Juanma is great fun but there's a lovely bit in that interview 
And do you know what? I can't actually remember for sure if it went in in its entirety. I know there was definitely a mention of it, where he basically made the point that the joy is in the process and not in the out the end result. Um, and he basically said to me something like, you know, so for example, you do this interview. For this interview to be good, you've got to go and care for it. So you've got to go and take it home. You've got to transcribe it. You've got to give it shape. You've got to make it worthwhile. You've got to put it in a magazine that hopefully will give you the space that you feel allows it to breathe. You've got to go and care for this now. It's not just you turning up here and having this conversation. And I thought, wow, at last someone understands that the interview isn't just turning up and having a chat. Because, and, and actually, of course, what the point he was making was that you will not treat this interview any better because you're better paid or less well paid than for an interview with another publication that maybe pays you more. But what will actually drive you through it or what will carry you through it or what will make you feel like it's worthwhile is the feeling of its intrinsic value. And I remember having that. I'm obviously not going to name the magazine for very, very, very obvious reasons. But I remember doing a piece for a magazine that paid massively over the odds for it because it was a kind of commercial business style thing. And I wrote this piece about Zidane for them. And I wrote what I thought was quite a nice piece. But I promise you I didn't try any harder because they were paying me four times as much as anyone else was. Because actually what... What, what carries you through is, is sort of the joy of the thing itself. And, and when, you, when you write something about a conversation with Juan Malillo, then of course there's a joy there. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and just on that, the, the, um, and it's funny because you're, you are someone who just absolutely loves football. I remember just an, an anecdote from me and uh, Brendy Boyle, one of the lads, uh, was at an Alcorcon game. About, it must have been about seven years ago. Are you suggesting and, that I went to Alcorcon? I don't believe you. <laughs> but like, you know, you know, Sid goes to all these games, and it's kind of like a like a like a, a, a trope, like almost at this stage, where it's like, oh, Sid, like a joke, like oh, Sid's on all these games, like you know. But we were at this Alcorcon game against, uh, I think it was Reus, and and <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it was. Oh, is that the and, one I was at when I was the only away fan? Yeah, and me and Brendy yeah, were yeah. sitting, and like we, there was one one person sitting in the Alcorcon away end. And, and and I think you had your, your son with you. And yeah, there were two of us. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and I I was looking, and Brendy was like, I think that's Sid Low. And I was looking, I was like, oh my god, what a what a free a freaky as they say in Spain. But like, I text Sid, I said, is that are you at the Alcorcon game? And you're like, yeah, that's me. And I was just like, that's just like that's someone who just absolutely loves it. But yeah, that's mm-hmm. there. I will I will I will admit to, to that one being a slight cheat because um playing up front for Rose that day was a guy called Miguel Linares who had been Oviedo's top oh, yeah. scorer when they came up from C1 to V. And that's so true. we were there very much as Linares fans. In fact, um in in my son's wardrobe downstairs is Linares' shirt from that very game. Um, oh, nice. so, so it was well worth it. It was well worth it. I mean, but yes, it is true that I would probably go to an Alcock Conroe's game anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's lovely. After all these years, that you still love it. That's yeah. it's amazing. After all, yeah, yeah after all the years and all the distance traveled and all the games attended, you still have that hunger for it. Yeah, I mean, look, look, like anything, it is true um, that that when. When it's a job and it becomes an obligation, there are times, of course, when it loses some of some of the magic and some of the joy. But the bottom line is, it's still football, and, and I do still quite like football. And I've I've, I've, I've thought this occasionally with with you know sometimes you get in discussions with people, and, and you sometimes think, yeah, yeah, but you're sort of missing the point. And the point is, I quite like this. <laughs> the point the point is, this is quite good fun. Um, now, obviously, it's not always, and, and and as you say, Robbie, there is a sort of a degree of it being a bit of a trope now. This kind of what the hell are you doing at Getafe? <laughs> but once in a while, you get an unexpected party that though, and so it's worth it. 
Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. <laughs> now, uh, Sid, Oviedo have not been in La Liga since 2001, which I know is immensely disheartening to you. Uh, but they have been established in the second tier since 2015, so about eight years now. Uh, talk to me and in, 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 in talk to us in general terms and brushstrokes just how this season ha- has gone for Oviedo. Well, this season's a slightly strange one um, because last season Oviedo missed out on the playoffs on goal difference. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't know if you've seen it, but there's... I mean, I, I laugh about it now and I, I tried to laugh about it at the time, but it was genuinely quite painful that Oviedo on the last league game of the season... They got word of a goal in the other game, which would have put them in the playoffs. And we went absolutely mad, and the players went mad as well. And then someone said, hang on, there hasn't been another goal. And yeah. we looked like total morons <laughs> celebrating this goal that, that hadn't happened. Anyway, so so you get the situation which obviously had a really good back end of last year. Maybe not always the greatest team to watch, but, but getting good results, went on a really good run. Uh, I still think, to be honest, it's unforgivable that there was a game... I think it was I think it was Stadagotha and we, we thought that a draw was quite good and at that point saying it's not good because we've got to go to Las Palmas and win and we went to Las Palmas and got beaten. Um, anyway, that's to, to cut a long story short, we, we, we got to the end of last season thinking this was a pretty strong team and then a new manager came in who, of course, was John Pérez Bolo who, who, who'd done a really, really good job, job last year with uh, Ponferradina, wasn't it? I think it was Ponferradina. And, and, and there was a kind of sense that this will sort of open the team up a bit and, and it will take us that extra little step. And for reasons that I've not been able to fully put my finger on, and I've asked um, friends who watch Oviedo as fans, and I've asked friends who watch Oviedo as journalists covering Oviedo, uh, what the hell happened? And it just feels like there was no connection with the players from the very start. And so Oviedo started the season absolutely abysmally. And it was, really was a shock because, you know, we felt there was a good enough team. Um, they persuaded Borja Bastón to stay. They persuaded Borja Sánchez to stay. Two really, really good players at second division level. Like really good players at second division level. And you look through the squad, and all right, it's true that Brugman had left, who I thought was a, a player that Oviedo could ill afford to lose. But, but defensively really strong, and, and, and the quality of the players in the team made me think this should be a good team. And they were just bloody awful. And then you get Álvaro Tavera take over. Now, for those who don't know, of course, Tavera was the guy that brought Cadiz up from Segunda B to Segunda and into Primera. And, and I think by the end of his time at Cardiff, it had actually become a bit of a self-parody because he embraced so much this idea of, and forgive me for saying this, but I'm going to say it given the podcast we're on, of Cholismo. You know, we'll be like Cholo Simeone, we'll be very defensive, we'll be very strong. I don't care if it's nil-nil, I don't want possession, I don't want the ball. And by the end, to be honest, I think he was taunting Cardiff and trying to basically get them to sack him. And he became this self-parody and, and, and this kind of sense of it all going a little bit bitter at the end. It was a real pity because he'd done such an incredible job for, for Cardiff, it would be extraordinary what he'd achieved there. Admittedly, not always the greatest team to watch. 
And he joined Oviedo. And I'll be honest with you, I was one of those people that wasn't entirely sure about this. And I wasn't entirely sure because, as you've mentioned, when you talk about the amount of time, you know, 2015 in the, in the second division, went down in 2001. I was actually there when Oviedo went down from the first division in Mallorca. We got beaten in Mallorca and went down um, on the final day of the season. And, and none of us really thought we'd be there that long, let alone that we'd end up going all the way down to Tetheda, into Seulnabi, into Seulnda, and, and never quite getting into the first division. But 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 there was a bit of me that when, when Alvaro Ferreira came in, I kind of thought, you know what, I'd quite like us to have a manager who, quite apart from the obvious thing, which is we all want to go up, I'd quite like us to be fun to watch. Because for a long time, I've actually not watched a lot of great football at Oviedo, in truth. Um, and and I wasn't 100% sure, I must confess, but I was, like all new managers, when they come in, I'm thinking, well, hopefully this is the guy. And the results have been really, really good since. A lot of 1-0s, a, a lot of very close games, not very exciting, some draws. But the results since he took over, I believe, put Oviedo in fourth or fifth place in the second division. If you made a league table of just results since he took over. Now, I know it doesn't work like that, but it's obviously a sign of, of a degree of improvement. And Oviedo have become, I suppose, what you'd expect them to become under Ferreira, which is very, very tough, uh, quite direct, not that worried about the ball, um, very, very difficult to break down. And I think have the players to maybe now be a team that you would say could go up. The thing is, of course, there's a lot of ground to make up. So they're, they're a long way up a long way from being in a position where they could go up. But as anyone who watches the second division knows, there's often very, very little difference between the team in fifth and the team in 15th. Yeah. You know, that, that, that gap can be bridged really quite quickly. Um, so things are looking reasonably good from that point of view. And it, that, that tends to happen in the Segunda where, where a team, and, and it actually happened to Cerrero with Cadiz. They were the yes, standout team absolutely. for three or four years. Yep. And then there was like an eight-game spell at the end where... And, and especially that counter-attacking football that he plays with the wingers. He got a couple of hamstring injuries here and there, uh, Salvi Sanchez and guys yep. like this. And all of a sudden, the standout team in the in the, in the the second of that year ends up just sixth or, or fifth. And they end up, the playoffs is just a, a nightmare. Like it's yep. a lottery yeah. almost. So yeah, I, yeah, I think that's, um, that's something. Well, I mean, that, it's not uh, just that. I remember, you know, obviously seeing this from an Oviedo perspective. Um, I remember seeing Osasuna at Oviedo sometime in early spring, so maybe February, March time, something like that. And the, the feeling being that Oviedo in, uh, Osasuna are in trouble. You know, there's a bit of a crisis brewing, that things aren't looking good, and they beat Oviedo and went up. <laughs> How the hell did that happen? And, and you look at Las Palmas last year, there was a period of the season last, last year where Las Palmas didn't look like they were going to be a great team. And all right, they didn't go up in the end, but they got themselves into the playoffs, and by the end of the season, you look at them thinking they're probably the best team in the division. Oh, taking away Levante, who of course you know more or less ran away with it, um, and, and that happens an awful lot in the second division. And of course, that's the the hope we cling to. Now, I try very hard not to get too hopeful, because it does feel like Oviedo's natural place over the last seven or eight years has basically always been two places and two points away from the playoffs. Always mm. just about within touching mm. distance, but not really. Always going into the last two or three weeks of the season, thinking, well, mathematically it could happen, but realistically we don't think it will. I remember being at the last game of the season away at Elche and it must be about oh, four years ago now I, I, you know I, I can't I've lost track of time um, genuinely in Elche's ground which is a big ground there must have been no more than six or seven hundred people like the place was almost empty and I'm thinking but Oviedo could go up today and Oviedo fans not even very many of them because we all deep down knew that they couldn't and there's a little period in the second half and the results coming from the other games so, oh maybe but deep down you know it's not going to happen and, and so Oviedo being eight and a couple of points off the playoff kind of feels like our natural place. And I really hope that we break that. Although last year, I say, we broke that. 
but it was even more heartbreaking because it was uh, it was seventh and goal difference away from playoffs. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah, and just I think we'll talk about Atletico now, Sid. But I just wanted to, yeah, I think you kind of undersold your your kind of connection with the club because I, I I met uh, I, I didn't uh, a couple of years ago before the pandemic. Um, the the I went up to Burgos to interview Michu and and oh. your name was mentioned. I don't know. I don't know whether it was you that, or the, sorry, it was him that mentioned you or, or me. But your name came up anyway. And Michu genuinely, he looked at me. Ah, oh, Sid, Sid, man. Ah, <laughs> oh, Sid, Sid's a legend. And I was like, oh yeah. And I was looking. I was, I obviously knew that he had a really strong connection to Oviedo, but it was then that really hit home that Sid Law is part of. Real Oviedo and like even you, you kicked off one of their games um, yeah. uh, so could you kind of explain just how deep it goes yeah I, I, I mean Michu is a total legend uh, I love Michu uh, and he's he's. I mean one of the one of the nice things actually about supporting a team that's not a big deal is, is how close you kind of become to them and particularly mm-hmm. you know I'll say this from the point of view of my son I mean my, my son Obviously, he knows that Messi's the best player in the world and Diego Ferreira isn't. But as far as he's concerned, Diego Ferreira is the best player in the world and Michu's the best player in the world and, 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 and you know, Saul Bajon is the best player in the world and Borja Sanchez is, you know. But the, 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 one of the nice things is that kind of closeness and, and, and sort of that, that sense of really being part of it. But in this particular case, I, I, I think it comes from, uh, from in 2012 when... Yeah, it's 2012 because it was 10 years this year. Christ, time goes... Anyway, in 2012, Oviedo were, were, were close to going out of business and the, the, the board of directors at the time, which was really just a group of fans, decided basically on one last dramatic roll of the dice, which was, right, there's one way of rescuing this and they did a share issue. And essentially what happened was that there was a, there was a push to try and get people to buy shares to try and rescue Oviedo. They needed, I think, 1.9 million euros within two weeks. Uh, I think it was 3.9 million euros to, to, to basically have a, a future whereas the 1.9 would be just enough to get to the end of the season. And they needed some way of pulling themselves out of a huge financial and institutional crisis. And the, the last shake of the dice was to go for a share issue. And to be perfectly honest, what I did was really quite minor, but it's been treated in Oviedo like I did something amazing. And it's, it's actually deeply embarrassing in some ways. And, 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 and I often feel that you know so many people who worked really hard on this that, and did so much more than me. But essentially what I did in that period was to push this idea of a share issue. To basically go on Twitter and be a pain in the ass and tell everyone to buy shares and push people to buy shares and force it through and say, come on, buy shares in this club that gave you Santi Gathola and gave you Michu and gave you Juan Mata, who were all playing in the Premier League at the time. Go on, don't let this club go out of business. And amazingly, people responded. And so from all around the world, people bought shares. And so there is this, I suppose you could call it in Oviedo, this kind of sense that, that, that I played a part in in sort of rescuing the club, I guess, which is a ridiculously overblown way of putting it, but it's how people have treated me and it's just completely lovely and completely over the top and, and people are really, really brilliant with me and, and as you say, one of the things that happened was that one year um, will be 2000, which year is it? Oh, honestly, I can't remember now. Um, I did the, the Pregon, which is essentially the opening speech, I suppose, that start the, the city's fiestas. Um, and then that weekend, I was invited to do the honorary kickoff uh, at a Real Oviedo game. By the way, at a Real Oviedo game against Cadiz, whose manager was Alvaro Cervera. I've not, I've not met him um, since he took over at a Real Oviedo. One day, one day, I hope to be able to tell him that. 
uh, you mentioned Borja Baston a moment or two ago, Sid, and and Robbie. This this will just underscore how long we've been doing this. Um, th- there is an Atlan Atleti Oviedo connection yeah. in this game. It is through Borja Baston, and in the early days of Inst the Calderon, the early days of Colch Nero Chat, there was this debate because he had such a good year at Ibar on loan in 2015-16. You know, should he should he come back to Atletico? Should he be given a chance under Diego Simeone? in the first team. Uh, Robbie, I know you remember these these conversations and the debates on the pages of Into the Calderon very well, but but Sid, um, how important has Borja Baston been these past two seasons? Wow. I mean, 30 goals That's in 61 league appearances, uh, 22 last year, 8 this year. He'll take some stopping. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, look he's to... At Oviedo, he's been a relatively um, kind of straightforward striker. Right? So a number nine. This isn't a guy that's going to do really amazing things um, with the ball. He's not a guy that, that necessarily is going to create something out of nothing, but he has an awareness, he has a sharpness, his finishing is brilliant. He has what appears to be a, com- a commitment to, um, what's the word I'm looking for, a, a commitment to, to, to the team, to the approach, to playing the game that, that's really striking. Because this is a guy I think that you could look at and say, actually, he should be playing in the first division. And in the summer, certainly, I think we all thought he would leave, and he hasn't. And I think he, there's clearly a sense that he's found himself there. Now, I'm not going to overplay this because I'm not so naive as to say, you know, he loves Oviedo. I'm sure he does, actually. But, you know, I'm not going to be so naive as to assume that he will never leave. But I think there was a sense of a connection with him. There is a, a slight sense amongst Oviedo fans, I think, that we... Um, I wouldn't necessarily include myself in this, by the way, but the kind of the Oviedo identity is we, we like a no-nonsense footballer. You know, we like a footballer who who's going to kick you if he has to, who's going to get in the area and stick his head in where he shouldn't, who's going to who's going to you know bundle the ball over the line. And this this speaks a little bit to Diego Tavero, who was our grand, you know, our, our, that's very Spanglish, our great icon. You know, he was our because he was Oviedo in Segunda B, because he was Oviedo as this kind of big lump of a forward, but scored bloody loads of goals and was completely committed and 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 is an Oviedo fan as in from, from the city. Now, obviously, these things don't all apply to Borja Baston. But I think we could see a bit of that in him. You know, we could see that sense of connection, this kind of, um, this kind of committed, tough, no nonsense forward, and 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 he, you know, everybody absolutely loves him, and, and he has been massively important in a team. You know, I go back to this, and this was true last season um, with with Kuko Thigander, and I think it's been true now with with Alvaro Ferreira. I think it was even true at the start of the season when the team weren't playing very well. The few goals that were being scored were being scored by him. He's a guy that's, that, that, that's, if you like, whose clinical nature, the fact that he doesn't take many chances for him to score is really important for a team that doesn't create that many chances. Uh, and admittedly, there's quite a lot of penalties among his goals. And, and if you look at our stats this year, uh, we really haven't scored very many goals and a very high proportion of our penalties. I think Borja has got eight in La Liga um, and I think maybe four are penalties. Um, but he is a guy that you just feel you can rely on. And, and he's massively, massively important for Oviedo. And, and I hope he stays at the end of the season. I hope that staying to the end of the season sees Oviedo go up. I mean, obviously, I hope that for myself. But I hope it for him as well. And that for him, it feels like he's kind of either able to leave Oviedo having fulfilled his task or able to stay at Oviedo and be a first division player. He, he has scored quite a few penalties, as you mentioned. Yeah, he's a lot of penalties. Eight yeah. from 11 attempts last year, which is, that strikes me as a lot. Uh, and four from five this year. So for Atletico, just don't let him get to the spot. <laughs> just don't let him attempt the spot kick. 
Yeah, or alternatively, please do. As <laughs> yes, you, <possibly> <laughs> you might be hoping for that. Yeah. Uh, he, he will be going up tomorrow against an Atletico defense that will not have Stefan Savage. Uh, he's out due to uh, some physical discomfort. Uh, Rodrigo de Paul and Joao Felix will not play either, and I do, I do want to talk to you both about Joao in, in just a moment. Sid, I'm curious about this, the difference between the two uh, Carlos Tartieri uh, stadia. I, I, do you, have you noticed any difference between the old one and the new one? Oh, yeah, one? massive, yeah. I, but I think, I think part of it is, is emotional as opposed to real. Um, so, obviously, there's that sense of emotional attachment, attachment of having lost the old uh, Carlos Tartieri, which was a little bit close to the city centre, but really not by much, by the way. You know, you can walk. There's a, there's a hotel now and a, and a shopping centre, which is actually just closed. It was complete, uh, a complete disaster opening that shopping centre, total failure. But it's, it's got a conference centre and some of the some of the governmental bodies are in there. And, and as I say, there was a shopping centre which is gone. There's a, there's a very sort of stylish hotel in a Calatrava building, which is actually a bit of a monstrosity. But that's on the, on the site of the old stadium. And you can walk from there to the new stadium in less than 10 minutes. So it really isn't a big move. But the new stadium kind of didn't feel as tight to the pitch. It doesn't feel as close. But actually, I think objectively, it's probably a better stadium. It's certainly a bigger stadium. And it's an unusual shape, which I quite like. It's square, which football stadiums normally aren't. You know, hard-edged square stadium. Um, it, it has a bit of a microclimate of its own. It's down in a ditch, and it feels like it's colder than everywhere else. You know, you can go around Oviedo, and it'd be a bit chilly. Go into the ground, it's freezing cold. And it, the wind sort of comes off the hillside and kind of seems to go right through it. It's a bit concrete. It's been given, it's been given character, actually, by the fact that it's been painted all over by the fans. There's really nice murals all over it now, and then... And, and I, I worry that at some point there will be a facelift done and they'll try and make it modern, they'll try and make it smart and they'll get rid of that. But actually that's what gives it its character. Um, I think it's a, a good stadium. I would argue that this isn't the case tomorrow because tomorrow it's, a, it's been sold out. So there will be 28, 29,000 in there tomorrow. I would argue it's actually a bit too big for us as a second division team because obviously there were most weeks getting 14, maybe 15,000, which actually in the old type, the Eddie would have felt, oh, it's full and it's noisy and it's close to the pitch. And, and this is a big second division club. In truth, in a stadium that big, it can feel a little bit empty because, of course, what happens is people go to their seats. And so the bits you see on TV or, or, or people are not packed in together. I personally would be in favour of saying, let's close the upper ring and force everyone down and force everyone together to try and create atmosphere. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a good second division stadium. It's possibly the biggest in the second division in terms of capacity, I don't know if Molinon or the Romareda or, or the Rosaleda might be as big. Um, Las Palmas' new ground, which is very smart, but a little bit soulless because it's a bit too new for my liking. Um, they might be as big, but it's, it, it's objectively a good ground. But I think people miss the old one. That said, bear in mind that it's um, 22 years now. Yeah. So people might well miss the old one, but actually we're, we're a dying breed. <laughs> Those of us who remember it. <laughs> Uh, Robbie, how do we think Atletico are going to approach this game at the new Tatieri on Wednesday? Uh, I, I had the feeling, as you've written about on, on our site last week, I have a feeling a certain Pablo Barrios might have a, a say in how this game goes. One of the most exciting prospects to come out of Atletico's system in quite a few years. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, in, in terms of... Uh, Simeone has kind of been forced to play him now with Rodrigo de Paul out and... and and given the fact that it just coming back into the, the starting off the new season, the Copa del Rey was a good chance for Barrios. And um but I don't know when the chips are down if he's gonna to continue to have faith in him. Like I mean Simeone is one of the criticisms I would have had is that he doesn't bring players through. So uh but at the same time Barrios was exceptional when he did play. Uh and he, he's kind of forced Simeone to 
at least consider him now over to Paul. Uh, but again, I, I'm not I'm not entirely sure given the fact that as Sid has said, there Real Oviedo play a specific style, um, and yeah, I I just think Simeone completely understands how Severa plays so I think he, he he's not going to be getting mugged by him <laughs> by by his own style basically um, so yeah like I mean it's been it's been a bit crazy with, with the way that the Atletico played recently in that and um, with, with the World Cup guys coming back um, Mario Hermoso has played I mean a lad who just looks like he's completely lost his head um, yeah I, I, <laughs> the answer is I don't know I must admit, I, I, I really like the look of Barrios and, I, and I, I would like to think they'll get the continuity because one of the things that's really stood out for me is is actually that attitude that says, I'm not scared of this. I'm not frightened by this at all. Um, now, obviously, that's not a guarantee of anything because young players, you know, it's not it's not always a linear progression. Um, but but the early signs are, are very, very good with him. I mean, look, although Rodrigo de Paul hasn't been that great for Atletico I thought he was really good for the four, first four months or so and he's starting to think oh there's a really good player here but it hasn't really happened but we are still talking about a World Cup winner we are still talking about a player who can really play um, and and so I, I wonder what the role for, for Barrios will be but but I would expect him to play this game and, 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 and the early signs are, are, are very very good indeed and I just wonder if maybe with Simeone it's, a, it's an opportunity for him to play him now when it might not have been before because given the problems they've got it's almost easier to be brave, if you see what I mean. And it's easier to use a kid from the youth system as, if you like, a lessening commitment to the others. Now, it's a bit cliche and it's a bit obvious, but at the moment, I think it's the kind of lesson that could be valuable to, to Simeone because I think he knows that he's got a lot of players who probably don't... Who, from his point of view at least, and again, to fall back onto the cliche, he maybe doesn't see the degree of commitment from them that he would like to see from them. See, I, want to, I actually wanted to ask you that about, about Simeone. You're... you're um someone who, who who I've noticed I don't know if this is something that you do but um, uh, do it on purpose but you see you always sit right up the front of the press conferences to, to make sure that you're uh, you're kind of getting everything and um, you're someone who asks uh, you know sometimes the press conference the questions can be a little bit kind of silly and, and you've spoken on TSFP about some of the this the Spanish media uh, being a little bit kind of driven by the sensational stuff, whereas you kind of try to dig in a little bit deeper. And Simeone is someone who I know is at press conferences, and I want to I want to know you you have seen a whole lot more of them than I would have had, both uh, both live at at games and in press conferences and even in mix zones and stuff like that. I get the sense that that Simeone there, there's I think there's I can't square. It. Who who is he? Who is what's the authentic Diego Simeone? Because he there's this kind of a the, grabbing himself by the the huevos and all this kind of crack and running down the tunnel after a game and like uncontrollable. But then he goes into the press conference and he he seems like he it, it seems like he's um he never gets worked up about anything mm. and that's good it's really really good in a way because nothing seems to phase him but at the same time come on man you, like you have to at least show um something has to bother you or is it all just a big performance yeah. because another thing is you, you that i've noticed and i know this is kind of a silly thing and that but like not one of the other top 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 coaches are on 
advertisements here and Simeone's an orange and I'm like here's this guy who's this like he's, he's like the, the, the working class and uh, guy and he's all about hard work and I just, I just I don't know there's different bits of the Simeone thing that I'm, I'm not really understanding can you have you thought about yeah. that or? I mean I mean given that you pose this question Robbie through the point of view of dealing with the press I think there's something that, that I've noticed i think that i hadn't noticed before which is let me kind of put this in context for you um espn got the rights for la liga uh, just over a year ago um and i've started doing pitch side for them which basically means i also do the flash interview now for those who don't know the flash interview is the immediate post-game interview um and what will normally happen in a flash interview is you've got you've got what's known as a super flash which is the local broadcasters spanish tv and that's normally just a player pitch side but the flash interview will be the rights holders so you know, normally down in the flash area, which is literally just at the top of the tunnel at the, at the Metropolitan. So you players come up the tunnel and there's like, I suppose you'd call it a foyer. And, and in that foyer bit, sort of an open space is where the TVs are set up with, you know, as you, you'll recognize this on the TV with the advertising boardings behind and the manager comes over and talks. And so ESPN will be there. Um, Spanish TV. So normally Movistar will be there. Uh, there's Danish TV, there's La Liga TV, there's usually a couple of other international channels. There might be five or six TV channels there. And Simeone will give two or three minutes to normally three or four of the five or six. And one of the things that I've noticed from doing that, whereas before, as you say, it would be press conferences, which is for written journalists, which he then go, he goes to after he's spoken in the flash, is how often I have felt, speaking to Simeone in those instances where you've got three or four questions and you've got the press officer hovering on your shoulder, and by the way, I've discovered that I'm not as good at asking questions in that scenario as I am in a press conference where I feel less kind of preyed upon and where I feel <laughs> that I don't need to ask that obvious question, first question, which is just, you know, what are your thoughts on the game? Which is the, always the first question um, or, or words to that effect. Anyway, what I've noticed in that is I feel like I feel much more like he's reading from a script than I used to because I'll hear what he says to me and then I'll hear him go to La Liga TV and say the same thing. And I will notice in that, in that context much more that no matter what I ask, he's got his answer. It almost doesn't matter how I phrase it, he's got his answer. On Certainly on the first question. And he will make that first answer quite long. And I don't know if that's deliberate to try and give me less time to ask the other things. Whereas in a press conference, of course, there's been five or six questions before me, so I can then go off on somewhere else. And maybe he's less prepared to kind of pull it back because he's already said those other things. And one of the other things to point out is that Simeone, like a lot of managers, but not all of them, has his own press guy that's not to do with the club, who looks after him, who looks after his image, who I'm sure will be guiding him through some of these questions, who will be guiding him through some of the things that he might get asked. And I think there is a conscious sense of a public image there, which, as you say, doesn't always tally with the one we see on the touchline. And I think that's very interesting. I think that tells you something about control. It tells you something about an awareness of the significance of how he's seen. And I would argue, but again, this is interpretive rather than informative, me saying this, that that is about understanding, if you like, the political dynamics as well as the sporting dynamics. That's about understanding how people receive him as much as how he sends a message, if you sort of mean. Um, and, and I think he's a very, very bright man. I mean, well, that stands, you know, that's obvious given everything he's achieved over the last 10 years. But I think he's an aware man of, of, of how his words can be twisted. I think he's aware of um, how the media can respond to him. I also think that while I'm not party to this personally, I am very well aware of it, that those journalists who follow him everywhere, who go to all of the away games, he knows who all of them are. He knows how they react to things that he says. 
he knows who is receiving his message as well as what he's saying. Um, and and I, I think that's that's part of what you're talking about, Robbie. I think that, that idea of of what does this how does this get consumed? Not just what do I say, but how does this get consumed? And I think he's very, very well aware of that. I also think he knows, because he's not stupid, because he's been there for a very long time, that a football club is not a single voice. For a very long time he has been the dominant voice of Atletico Madrid, but he's not the only one. And he's certainly not the only one in terms of, if you like, the unpublished stuff that gets said. And, and I think he, I think he knows that. Um, I think, I think as well that he, he is a manager who knows that he's in a difficult situation, and he embraces that and he admits it. But I don't think he necessarily wants to give too much of it away when he talks about it. And I think one of the reasons why he talks a lot about passion and so on, at least did to start with, was because he saw that as the way out. But I think if you listen to him over the last three or four years, I think he gives you much more tactical insight than he once did. I think he's much more prepared to talk about structures, to talk about what players give him, to talk about what he's trying to achieve. And I actually think that if you go down those routes, he gives you really interesting answers. I think he's got really interesting things to say. And this is, in a sense, it mirrored how Atletico tried to evolve in recent years. Absolutely. Certainly during the title-winning season in 2020-2021, Last year, it was, as Robbie and I talked about, it was just a bit of a mess, and Atletico ended up finishing a distant third. And this year, we, we've seen Atletico, as as has been the case over the years, kind of caught between two eras. And Sid, I know you've talked about this before, yeah. Robbie. I know yeah. you've talked about this before. Um, and, and Sid, you did a bit of a deep dive on this for ESPN a few days ago in your column about Joao Felix, which touched on his relationship with Simeone and his situation at the club. And the idea that, that Joao is kind of the right player, but in the wrong place at the wrong time. Talk to us a little bit about what you mean by that and where you see yeah. the situation. Well, I mean, I think one of the things that, that I, I said in that piece, which is, I don't know if this is the most important, in fact, it's definitely not the most important part of it, but I think it's an important maybe starting point because we have to contextualize everything. And obviously the contextualization of this is, this is a guy who's played 26 senior games when he joins Atletico Madrid. I think it's 26, I can't remember the exact stat. It might be fractionally more than that, but it's not many who comes for 126 million euros, who comes under the arm of an agent who has an extremely close relationship with Atletico Madrid, who effectively promises Atletico Madrid, this guy will always have a sell-on value. You know, I will see to it that when he goes, if he has to go, you don't lose out on this. So take this risk now, because it's not really a risk, because I'm guaranteeing his future, which you can never guarantee, because you can never know how good a player is going to turn out to be. Although, of course, you're talking about an agent who's just got you 40 million euros for Cunha. Uh, And so you know, even if it doesn't come from Joe Felix, there's, there's a degree of complicity, there's a degree there. But of course, what happens is, that's, a, if you like, an institutional side of it. But then, it's, of course, it's down to the player and the manager and the teammates to, to make this work. And, and the point I was, sorry, the point I was moving on to was that, that moment when Gil Marin says at the start of December, that, you know, there's a problem. And he admits publicly, and I, I was very struck by this, very, very struck by this. Yeah that maybe the solution is this guy has to move on. But he makes a point of saying the relationship between the manager and the player isn't great. Now, that may well be true. In fact, we, I think we all know it is true, right? even if no, one's, no one else is publicly saying it. Uh, that may well be the fundamental point. point. But I'm always a little bit uneasy when people in a managerial or a, or a, or a directorial role, and, and obviously Gilmarin is even more than a director you know he's essentially the owner of the club he's not not quite but he's essentially the owner of the club when someone like that essentially allows two men to carry the responsibility publicly i'm always a little uneasy about it because there's a context to this and it's a context of why did you buy him why did you buy him at the point that you bought him 
What did you really think the solution for him was? How much did you do to help resolve some of these internal issues? And I think there are a lot of contextual elements to take into account, not just do Simeone and Jao like each other. And even if Simeone and Jao do like each other, in footballing terms, can they really meet in the middle? Because there are different approaches. Now, I would argue that in the season which Atletico Madrid won the league, for the first four or five months of the season, that we found a solution. But I think that solution, in terms of a structural or a mechanical, what would I call it, basis, was actually driven by Luis Suarez. And by the changes that Simeone has talked really, I think Simeone spoke really eloquently about Luis Suarez. And, and, you know, that relationship wasn't great at the end, but that wasn't great because they're two competitive men who wanted to play a part. And, and actually, I think it was difficult for, for Suarez to assimilate his diminishing role. But Simeone has spoken really eloquently about Suarez and about how Suarez imposed a change on that team and about talking about bringing the team closer to the area. And, and that it was Suarez that, that kind of, if you like, took that team over the threshold to be league champions. Now, he's not the only one by any means. And, you know, you could certainly look at Kieran Trippi. You could certainly look at Marco Chavente in that team. Um, you, could, you could even look at Mario Amosa, mad though it seems now, who I thought played a really big role in them winning the league. And right now it just seems baffling that, that we could be talking about the same player. But, but, but I think that shift in approach made it work for Jao Felix as well. And in turn, of course, Jao Felix made it work. And it sort of, that symbiosis was found. And I just wonder if in that period, in the middle of the season where Atletico Madrid had a wobble, whether maybe that was the beginning of the end for Jao Felix, because there was a slight shift back towards something else. Although not entirely, because, of course, Suarez kept on scoring goals. But there was a, a slight shift in the approach. I think for about three months, Jao Felix could make a case for saying he was the best player in Spain. But it was only three months. And you always get this idea of the consistency and whose fault is it. And obviously the buck stops with the coach. Why? Because he's the one who can get sacked. And because actually it's his responsibility to get the best out of these players. And we clearly know that the best of Jao Felix is very, very good indeed. But it's also Jao Felix's responsibility. It's also a responsibility of the context with which she comes. If Jao Felix comes as a 40 million euro player, do we have the same degree of gnashing of teeth and scratching of heads as we do when he came for 126 million? That conditions everything, whether we like it or not. And so you look at this and you sort of think, somewhere else for a different price with a different manager, could it have worked? Or actually with this same manager, but a different price and a different structure, a different mindset, and a different mindset from him in terms of when you go for 125 million euros, it changes you as a person as well. And so there are all sorts of elements here. And I don't actually have the answer. And I don't have the answer in terms of culpability. And I, th I think it's not as simple as saying it's because of Simeone. Right. Or as simple as saying it's because of Jao. Or as simple as saying, imagine if he'd gone to Real Madrid instead. Or imagine if he'd gone to, I don't know, Chelsea instead. Or imagine if he'd gone and had a season at a club like Villarreal and then taken a step up. Although that might, Benfica fans might not like me for saying that because they're a huge club. But or imagine if he'd done it in two years' time instead of doing it then at that age, that young. And, and this, is, this is one of the things that I find kind of difficult to fully grasp is that you look at me think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, he's 23. Yeah. He might be 24. I think he's 23. 23. He's young. Yeah, but this is his fourth season now. And how long do you wait? And I don't know, and I, I ask you two as, as, as guys who understand Atletico Madrid from a fan's point of view more than I do, but I kind of feel like when he goes, there will just be a, a bit of a sense of, well, it wasn't to be and it's a bit of a pity and it's quite sad. But it's not a tragedy because I think we've all sort of accepted it now that it's sort of not quite right. And yet there's also a bit of me that wonders and can't help but wonder, imagine no one comes for him. Imagine there isn't an offer. And by the way, I think there's a good chance that there isn't an offer, you know, by the end of the market. Imagine he's forced to stay. 
could that actually be the, the best thing that happened to everyone? Because it's at that point you say, you know what? You're screwed, mate. You might as well <laughs> get on with this. And you know what? You're screwed, mate, Mr. Manager as well. You're all screwed, so make the best of this. Mm. Or does everyone give up at that point? And honestly, I don't know the answer. Um, but it just kind of... The, the, the fact that we're not more sad about this and more upset about this is kind of what makes me sad and upset. But, you know, this should be a real problem that, he's, that he looks like he's likely to go. That the CEO of the club is saying, actually, the best thing would, for him to be, would be for him to leave. That feels like a real... That feels like a really sort of flat end to me. But it's almost the fact that it's flat rather than rather than a wailing that, that almost kind of makes it worse. If you sort of mean, it's almost like so what? Yeah, I, I think I think sometimes when a player leaves La Liga to go and play in the Premier League for say a hundred million or fifty million, whatever it costs, we we as Spanish football uh, watchers, we we feel a little bit of sadness because we're like oh they're going to get to enjoy him now but I think yeah. with Joe Felix we're sitting there going he's going to go there and like is there even a, obviously there's a player there but yeah. what's he going to do there like so no. we're kind of it's, it's, that's why there's no sadness because Absolutely. we're like they're I mean, now the frustration I mean, the question, is the, the way, one way one way of framing it Robbie is to you know that question that you and me always get asked whenever someone from Spain goes to England is he going to succeed that's the most basic question of all right is this guy mm-hmm. going to succeed let's say for argument's sake he goes to Chelsea or, or Man United or whatever it doesn't really matter go is he going to be a good, is he going to succeed honestly my answer would be I don't know it's possible that this guy doesn't perform it's possible that he's brilliant but it's possible that he doesn't perform and now normally when a player goes obviously it's someone we've seen in Spain they've been really good and you're enthusiastic about them and you're not always right sometimes you think oh he's going to be amazing and he's rubbish but this is a guy we think I actually sort of don't know I don't know if he's going to be really good. I don't know if it's about him, if it's about Atletico, if it's about a whole series of things. And that comment from Simeone during the World Cup was, oh, yeah. I was just going to bring that up, yeah. And I think that's a really telling comment because it was Simeone being, giving him a compliment. But it it was really Simeone hitting out at him, to be honest. Him saying, oh, well, it's a short competition and that suits him. As opposed to a league, maybe, when you want him to be committed all the time. And clearly Simeone has seen something in his attitude that he doesn't like or in his application that he doesn't like. The problem with that is it would be too easy to say, well, Simeone's right. Because, of course, it's Simeone's responsibility for him not to have that attitude. So where does the, you know, where does the responsibility lie? Now, ultimately, of course, it lies with the player. But it's the manager's job to mould that. And if, the man, if we're going to say the manager's amazing when he gets the best out of players, then if he's not getting the best out of players, we also mm. have to say it's partly the manager's fault. But the bottom line is, how much could a manager do if, if, if he thinks, at least, that this player isn't always performing? Now, obviously, there's another whole other debate, which is whether we look at it and go, well, actually, you know what? He's performing as well as the others and you're not giving him opportunities. Mm. You're not giving him continuity. This is why I don't actually have an answer. I, I feel like, you know, we've been talking about him for seven or eight minutes and I haven't actually said anything because I actually mm. don't know what the conclusion is. But, but, I, but I also think too, you, you said it there, about like um, the short competition, you need to be kind of uh, able to do it over the course of a season. And then at what point is it the manager's job to, to, to get the best out of him? And I think that that's probably one of Simeone's biggest downfalls is that he, he can't... He, he, there's, there's sometimes when there's players, and I know you can't explicitly go into the dressing room and say, OK, Joe, you can take this... Uh, week off or it's not it doesn't happen like that but there has to be a point where you you embrace the maverick a little bit because he's yeah. going to win you a league if you if you just embrace that but Simeone can't think like that and I think that he suffers from that like and everyone has to be all in all the time whereas Joe Felix's brain as as, as a really creative player it just works slightly differently and yeah. and there is room for those players 
if you know how to handle them and they're the players who who, who do get you over the edge and uh, or get you over the finish line so um yeah I yeah i mean that, that's 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 exactly it with Dale felix exactly that doubt is whether whether there could have been more accommodation there is also i mean i genuinely think this there is also a doubt which is you look at Dale felix after three and a half years into his fourth season at atletico and every now and again you can't help thinking is he actually just not as good as we first thought? Mm. And every now and again, I do think that. And 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 then yet, yeah, then once in a while, he have an amazing game. But wow, what a player! And 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 this is it. This is you're right, Simeone. I don't think comprehends players like that. I think this is one of the reasons why, by the way, why I think Simeone loves Antoine Griezmann so much, because I think you're talking about an, a genuine superstar who plays as if he was rubbish, who puts the effort in as if as if as if he has to make good his lack of talent. And it's one of, the, one of the things I always liked about Luis Suarez, and I always felt with Luis Suarez, he had that one brilliant season at Atletico. You always think, imagine if he played with Simeone at 25. Imagine how much Simeone would have loved him. Yeah, absolutely. And with, with Joao, he's, he's on a run of five goals in five games now, but we've seen this exactly, from him that's before. The other thing. You look at the stats, and actually, he's performing pretty he's well. He's pretty good. But we've seen this from him before, though. Last season, he had that run between January and March before he got injured again, where he was the best player on the team. Uh, helped Atletico get back into the top four to stay, got them past Man United in the Champions League. The year before, as you said and as you wrote, Sid, I think he was the best player in Spain the first half of that season when Atletico won the league, and then he gets hurt again. So it's an injury or a a poor period of form that just is always disruptive. I think arguably more so than whatever Simeone's tactics are. I think just the lack of continuity uh, just because of, you know, bad injury luck or a run of poor form, that has conditioned if not doomed his atletico stay yeah, and, and we'll and we'll see what happens this month i mean atletico's demands from what i've seen are pretty high for just a, an initial loan move without an obligation to buy uh, we'll see if those demands come down over the course of the month how intent on leaving joao felix is but there's there's a lot more to be written here whether it's positive or not for joao's time at atletico yeah absolutely i think you're right as well about that physical fragility has been has definitely been a factor in in, in all of this and, and you know as i was writing that piece going through his statistics you think those his statistics are actually really not that bad for a creative i don't know if we're going to call him a forward or a creative midfielder or a number 10 or a, you know a floating eight or whatever you want to call him um and, and his statistics aren't that bad but then you go through them and, and obviously this is what i did was to go through them literally game by game and they're in clusters and so you get a, you'll get a month period or a two-month period. I mean, take this season, that opening night against Katafa. You go, wow, look at that. And, and that, that, that conditions his stats for the whole season because there's three assists in one night. Take that game out. And obviously, you don't take, take a game out, but take that game out and all of a sudden the stats don't look so good. But, but I think his, his stats are actually really not bad. And, and his contribution has, on occasions, been really high. But for example, take the league title winning season. His statistical contribution is nowhere near as high as Marco Sorrenti, for example. Nowhere near as high. See, just just to finish off, I have one last question for you that uh, that um, that I've thought about for a while, and, and not thought about for a while. I've thought about it before. And um, aside from Oviedo, the obvious answer, uh, you're someone who strikes me as, and I've heard you talking about statistics, and, and, and you're 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 really open to them. You, you I, I get the sense that you really understand what what they're for. Like instead of this, like say for example, expected goals just being. Mm-hmm this gospel you're you're like no but it's just another tool to help us you know Mm. like you know and 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 you're someone you're you're obviously someone who thinks deeply about the game i I don't know what title you want to give it but like a sporting a sporting director job comes up at a club 
A, would you take it? And B, what's the ideal club for you if you were ever going to become like a sporting director? No, I mean, there's not, I don't think there's anyone Spanish, English, I don't care who knows more about Spanish football. Right, right. I'll tell you what, you know, I mean, the fundamental thing, genuinely the fundamental thing, I mean, there's two things. One is, is, is uh, despite those very kind words, I'm not sure I'm actually qualified for it. And number two is, I suppose that goes hand in hand with the other reason, which is, I'd be so frightened of failing and I'd be so frightened of the degree of pressure on it, which is why obviously the answer would be Oviedo, but I don't want to be responsible for probably getting it wrong. So um, on, on the premise that I'm going to get it wrong, maybe it should be Sporting Gijón. I don't know. I mean, is, that, is, that the way, is that the way to do this? Uh, I mean, <laughs> I must admit there have been times when i thought about whether, whether it'd be nice to work within the game. Um, my, my view when I thought about that has never really been about sporting director absolutely not because I genuinely don't think I have that capacity I speak to friends who, who work in, in, in the industry and, and, and particularly people who work with, with agents not necessarily as the agents themselves but effectively the, as the agent scouts and people who see things in the game that I just don't see uh, well, uh, you know, you, you've seen a player and you've identified something that I don't identify in this player or, or I don't have the capacity for it and I, I, I don't have the I don't know what it is, the, the, the feel for it or, or, or maybe the interpretation of the stats. I think the interpretation of the stats is, is something you can do, but certainly not with the degree of expertise that others have. And I must admit, I thought before about doing either a coaching badge or, exactly as you're, you're kind of implying here, doing the sporting directorate course at the Federation. As a way of, un- not necessarily as a way, of, in fact, absolutely not as a way of being a sporting director, but as a way of understanding the mechanics that go with it and understanding what's actually happening internally. Um, but as I say, I, I, I genuinely don't think I'm sufficiently qualified for it, which is why when I thought about, you know, at some point, would it be nice to work within the game? My assumption has always been that it'd be to work within a club in a communications department rather than rather than in the in the footballing side of things, because I just don't think I could presume to have the knowledge or the capacity or the ability to withstand the pressure that comes with that. And I, I remember saying this to Javier Aguirre. Now, I know obviously being a manager is different, but I was... At the Mallorca game when they survived away at Osasuna the last game of the last season, and he came, and, and I hope I'm not giving away a, you know anything over personal here, but he, he he came, he he left the bench at the end of the game, and he went into the area where the flash zone is, and he was trying to find where the director's box was to find his wife. So you know, so it's like we did it, oh, we done it, thank God for that because his wife was you know nervous about it for him and all the rest of it. She goes to every game and stuff. And then he came back down to the flash zone to do his interviews. And um, he was sodden. Now, this wasn't just a bit of sweat. He was sodden. And, and you know, he, he, this, the pressure and so on. And I, the first question I asked him was, why the fucking hell do you do this to yourself? Like, seriously, why would you go for it? You've made enough money in football. It was like, well, actually, my wife doesn't really want me at home. And, you know, he sort of joked about it and stuff. And, and I think there are people who really need this. And I think on some level, I do really need it as well. But maybe not that. I think that might be a step too far. Um, I, I see quite a lot of football as it is. I quite like what I do. Admittedly, there are times, and, and this week is, is a good example of it, on a, on a Monday morning when I've got to write a column, and this week off the back of not having watched Spanish football for six weeks for the World Cup and because of Christmas and stuff, on a Monday I thought, I can't do this. I, I can't write. I've got no idea how to, how to put this together, this piece. Is, and even after I've finished the piece, I thought, this piece is bloody terrible. And then you get some people wade into you below the line or on Twitter and stuff. And every now and again, and Monday was one of them, you think to yourself, you know what, they're right. <laughs> this is terrible. What the hell have I written? 
And, and, and there is a degree of pressure. Now, again, let's get the world's smallest violin out and feel desperately sorry for the person who's paid to go and watch football and it's a lovely job and all the rest of it. But, but that can bring with it a degree of pressure. And I think to myself, imagine if, imagine if my job actually depended on it or imagine if my football club winning actually depended on me and I don't think I could do with that. And I was talking to a friend of mine, I'm not going to name the club for very obvious reasons, who became involved in, in, in the communications, but not more than communications, communications and kind of logistics part of a club in the Premier League, a big club in the Premier League. And uh, and I saw him and had a drink with him and, you know, not, not from a point of view of me getting the information, but just wanting to know what it was like for him. And he said, he said, the thing is, he said, you don't really fully appreciate it until you're inside that everybody at that club, and there is a hundred, more than a hundred, the best part of three or four or five hundred people working in that club. Every single person in that club, their mood, their life depends on some 25-year-old millionaire putting a bloody ball in the net. <laughs> it's, it's horrendous. And so I don't know if I could be in that position. I mean, it's bad enough as a fan being in that position. I, I don't know if I could be in a position within a club. When you, when you reduce it to those terms, like the, the stress level is It's really infinite. hard, man. Yeah, yeah. Oh Absolutely. My God. I wouldn't want it. No, no. Oh, I, I could scarcely imagine. As, as good as I might be a football manager, I, I couldn't be a sporting director. Either. No, exactly. I'd want to work I, I think, in, in I think comms. You sometimes think, if only, if only it worked like that, and it kind of doesn't. And this <laughs> is why, you know, there's a huge amount of admiration for those people who, who do the job and do the job well and actually manage to maintain a degree of kind of emotional balance. I mean, we, we talk a lot, don't we, about how occasionally a football manager loses the plot and has a rant or a player loses the plot and has a rant or even occasionally a sporting director loses the plot and have a rant. And I always think, you know, it's a miracle they don't say stupid things more often. Particularly when people like me are sticking a microphone under their nose and they've only finished two minutes ago and, and they're, they're absolutely furious. Have to bloody talk to the press now? Exactly. Oh. Absolutely right. 100%. Oh, man. So, uh, Sid, I, I expect you're going to predict an Oviedo win tomorrow night. No, I would never predict an Oviedo win. I, I've, I've learned over the years to never, ever, ever, ever predict an Oviedo win. And it's not just that I don't predict it. I never even believe in it. And when it happens, <laughs> it's lovely. Um, I, 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 I can't see anything other than an Athletic Madrid victory. But I think that Oviedo will, given the nature of the way they've played of late, I think there's a chance they make life difficult for Atletico. I would agree. Yeah, Atletico really struggled to get going against Antero last month. Uh, the, the pitch was in bad shape, sure, but Atletico looked kind of unsure as to what to do with the ball. Um, the, the meetings between Cadiz and Atletico in La Liga when, when Tevera was coaching uh, went all went Atletico's way by convincing score lines, but I don't I think, think, yeah, I don't think we're going to see yeah. that again tomorrow. I think it could be a very tight game, and there's also added pressure on Atletico knowing that this is, this is their shot at Silverware this year. They're out of Europe. Yeah, well, they're not going to win La Liga. Absolutely. Yeah, I, 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 you, on, on Twitter earlier, um, Semra Hunter pointed out that the Atletico Madrid game at the weekend against Barcelona is, is on ITV and she's presenting it and she said, you know, come and join us for this big game, don't miss it. And of course, I replied to her joking, yeah, don't miss it, it's the second biggest game of Atletico Madrid's week. <laughs> and actually, an Atletico Madrid fan came below the line, well, not below the line, replied to the tweet and said to me, you're joking, but it's probably true. Yeah. Because as you say, so much is invested in the Copa del Rey this year. Yeah, they have a lot riding on it as they try to win the cup for the first time in 10 years i think we're going to leave it there anything either of you would like to add before we sign off i oh, just i hope it'll be fun and, and i'm really looking forward to it i mean alex alex kirtland who of course uh, 
produces and presents and, and, and basically is the, the brains behind TSFP, sent me a, a WhatsApp note earlier today and said, on a scale of 1 to 100, how excited are you about this game? And I replied, 110. You know, I couldn't get tickets to start with. The tickets had all sold out. Managed to wangle away in and then actually some tickets became, came onto the market. So, so I will be there and I'm really looking forward to it. And the fact that it's going to be a full house and I just, I, I just hope it's a good occasion. You know, I, in, in, a way, in a way, winning or losing is kind of incidental. Although I won't be thinking that tomorrow at kickoff, and I certainly won't be thinking that tomorrow in ninety minutes. But um, but 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 for us, I think it's more a case uh, more a case of kind of feeling like you know Oviedo can be a big club too, or a biggish club. I mean, obviously, not never going to be as big as Atletico, but, but a biggish club. Absolutely, uh, I think if I read correctly, this is Oviedo's first round of thirty-two game in eight years, seven or eight years. Yeah, I, I've been saying this to, to to friends of mine in support Oviedo and, and, and actually just moaning about it into the into the ever on, on Twitter and stuff. That <laughs> one of the things that's really pissed me off about the Copa del Rey in the last seven or eight years, I think the last one might even have been when we went away to play um, David Moyes' Real Sociedad. Mm. Uh, and in fact, I remember David Moyes staying in the hotel, same hotel as me in Oviedo for the return leg. Um, and... and um, and that was, I think, the last time. But, but as I say, one of the things that, that sort of annoyed me about the Copa del Rey in recent years isn't just that Oviedo haven't played well in it. It's that it's kind of felt like it doesn't matter to anyone. Yeah. It's like the Copa del Rey is just a thing we don't do. And I've, I've always found that a really short-sighted view of it. If you're a second division club, yes, it's true, you're not going to win it. I mean, it's almost harder as a second division club than as a second division B club because of the way that the structure works and so on. Uh, or, or rather, you know, harder than it is for, for, for say, a, a lower-level first division team. But you know you're going to get a big team, but you know you're not going to get the joy of the really biggest teams this time around. It has happened, and I think everyone's really quite excited about that. And, and it just sort of, I've always felt, well, but this is something to enjoy, and it doesn't need to impact on your league form. In fact, it could help you. You know, let's make an event of this. And one of the frustrating things in recent years is probably I haven't even made an event of it. Uh, you know, going out in crappy games against against teams that are not that exciting. And, and, and yeah, I, I think there is a real sense of, actually, you know what, this is what it's for, even if you lose. It doesn't matter if you win. It, well, it does matter, but you know, it's not really about that. It's about feeling like, okay, let's let's have an occasion. Let's let's go there and enjoy it, which is supposedly the point. I mean, I know we don't enjoy football very much, and we suffer for it, and and we make almost a fetishization of of, of it not being fun and of, mm-hmm. of sacrifice rather than of joy. But you are supposed to enjoy it, and it is supposed to be fun. So so hopefully it will be. It, it is a game at the end of the day. It's what they tell me. It's yeah. So they say. I think they're lying, <laughs> but they say they say. Is what I've heard. All right, gentlemen, we're going to leave it there. Sid Lowe, Robbie Dunn, thank you so much for hopping on this edition of Colt Gennaro Chat. Very much a pleasure. Uh, you can find all three of us on Twitter, actually. Uh, keep up with our work at IntoTheCalderon.com. Our Patreon page, Patreon.com slash Colt Chat, also has bonus goodies from as little as $3 a month. Uh, Sid TSFP also has a Patreon page where you can get exclusive goodies. It does. Uh, we uh, most of all, the best thing is producer Al's near daily, world famous paper reviews. Absolutely, and we will be back uh, following the the Oviedo game and uh, for the rest of the season as well. So thank you all so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Adios.